In many ways, nonsense is a more effective organizing tool than the truth. Anyone can believe in the truth. To believe in nonsense is an unforgeable demonstration of loyalty. It serves as a political uniform. And if you have a uniform, you can embrace the void. virtue to exist anywhere. I want everyone corrupt. Leaves from the vine falling so slow. Sometimes, Master, it is difficult for meatbags to step back and gain some perspective on death and its importance in their insignificant lives. I don't know if I'm up for this. I'm so emotional. I can barely think straight. Great. Use that. Embrace the void. Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 189 of Embrace the Void, where we are 70% dark and 30% enlightened. I am your host, Aaron, and this week we're better knowing some philosophers who seem to hold a surprising amount of influence in some circles. So, let's make with the mold bug. Life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... Something. My guest this week is Curbmark from Twitter. Curbmark, would you like to say hi to the void? Hello, void. It's good to be here. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. So uh, just to give a little background on why we're going to be having this particular conversation. Um, you So a little while back, I made a comment on a random post about how it seemed like a uh, conspiracy theorist uh, James Lindsay is some sort of breed of terrible libertarian. And you jumped in and and valiantly corrected me by pointing out that he's actually maybe something more like a paleoconservative. And you proceeded to lay out what I thought was a fairly compelling argument for the case. So I thought it'd be valuable to have that conversation and help maybe in this in the process disentangle a couple of philosophical positions that I think, especially progressives like myself, may not always be able to tell apart clearly on the outside. So before we get to that, though, do you want to let folks know a little bit about like your ideolo ideology, personal sure. background, like what brings you to be familiar with these particular sure. ideologies? Okay, basically, I was really active in the atheist community back then when it was a big thing about eight, nine years ago. I was also a fan of uh, Eliezer Yudkovsky, I think, that's, that's how it's pronounced. The guy from Les Brown, the rationalist mm -hmm. community. And I was also involved in the uh, Scott Alexander's blog. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I usually mm -hmm. found lots of stuff that I found interesting in there. And initially, the audience for Les Brown and Scott's blog was really ideologically diverse. There were many people from that ranged from people who uh, were self-defined Marxists 
two people on the far right. So there was a lot of spread of ideology in there. It wasn't just just people on the right. But what happened is that more on, well, this happened more on less strong than on Scott Alexander's blog, at least in my opinion. The people on the far right, especially and especially the paleo-libertarian slash paleo-conservative right, they became more prominent. They became the biggest voices in the community. They became the people who were commenting more, who were leaving lots of really long comments explaining their ideology in details and trying to convince people. And lots of people just left. I think that there was a big exodus mm -hmm. of people mm -hmm. who were more on the left from, from less strong at some point. It was just people, I think, getting bored more than anything. It wasn't just, wasn't a purge or a takeover. It was just people getting bored of the, those people repeating the same arguments over and over and over again and trying to convince mm -hmm. other people. But they just basically took over the community just, just by being persistent, just by staying there and posting and posting and posting more and more and more and more. Can you give an example of what kinds of arguments sure. you like saw over and over again in these situations? A big example that I saw on Less Wrong was that basically democracy had failed. The idea that democ liberal democracy especially mm -hmm. had failed as a project, it was no longer viable. And since people in the rationalist community were interested a lot in how, making, how, how to make things efficient and rational, so they were supposed to abandon the liberal democratic project for something else. And usually that something else was something like... Mm -hmm. um, there were many different varieties. This one, there was lots of lots of people were reposting links to Curtis Yabin's blog, Manchu's bald book, or and basically mm -hmm. was arguing that there should be some sort of oligarchy of people who are very good at governing things, very good at administration, just like being an admin on a forum but not just in a forum, in society, in real life. And I could see the appeal mm -hmm. from, you know, a, just a, a theoretical perspective, but I had really strong reservation from, you know, if you try to apply that to real life, there are some constraints, in my opinion, that make this idea, even, even putting these terms, even leaving aside all the... The other stuff that came later, there was racism, xenophobia, and mm -hmm. that's, of course, much worse. But even just the idea of the oligarchy, of people who are good at governing, even that was, in my opinion, heavily flawed, especially as, as they put it in their arguments. But they were posting this idea over and over and over hmm. again. And, and it, I think there is some part of that idea that is really appealing to people who are interested in making things efficient and making things rational because it looks at least superficially very efficient and very rational mm -hmm. so this is sort of like a community 
you know, where you took the criticism against meritocracy that it creates this kind of technocratic oligarchy and they were like no we want that but iron unironic yeah. like we're really into exactly yeah. what you're describing right there so it's a kind of highly rationalist maybe liberal in the sense of like socially liberal but like fairly you know authoritarian in the sense of concentration exactly. of power in an oligarchy exactly. mm -hmm. that's very interesting what is the connections between this community these kind of less wrong rationalists and communities like new atheism and then like the red pill reactionary kind okay. of movements that people are familiar with I'm online not as familiar with red pill in first person because i never okay. posted on any red pill forum or any manosphere i've read a few a few blog posts and anything but i, I always thought that the red pill crowd were some sort of uh diet rationalism they were they were taking some rationalist arguments hmm. and um, making them simple, making them easier to understand, but mm -hmm. removing lots of content. So I never really thought that the red pill crowd were really interesting, in my opinion. And as far as the new eighties community goes, well, there was a lot of overlap between that and less strong, especially. Lots of people on less strong were also fans of Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or mm -hmm. Daniel Dennett, which I think, by the way, I think is much better than Dawkins and Dennett as a philosopher and a, as a person who makes argument in general. And the overlap, mm -hmm. as I said, I think that nowadays lots of people think that it was just um, just a matter of choosing sides, picking sides at some point. There was this big schism between people who were more on the social justice side and people who were more on the uh, mm -hmm. red appeal side uh, uh, or, or just, you know, the so-called uh, dark enlightenment or something like that. But I think that mm -hmm. it's a little bit simplistic. And if I think that lots of people were not on either side, at least initially, and there was there were lots of people who were just became bored with the, with new atheism in general. It was a big thing. So what mm -hmm. what maybe maybe some people who were really into the community, the, what they don't remember or maybe they never experienced it, is that new atheism used to be a a huge thing used to be you couldn't go in any forum without mm -hmm. finding uh you know a topic about new atheism or what samari said about religion or or something like that mm -hmm. it was huge so there were all sorts of people in the, in the, in the, in the movement and community and they were from all sorts of ideological backgrounds so it wasn't just people mm -hmm. from the far right and people from, mm, how should I say, uh, how should I call them? People from the American left, which is just my <laughs> definition. Uh -huh. I, I don't, by the way, I don't think that uh -huh. the American left is entirely one thing. There are many different strains of the American left as well. Sure. But there were also people from, you know, 
people there were lots of people what people don't remember there were lots of people from uh, uh, Middle Eastern countries that were posting on those blogs mm-hmm. and the interest in new atheism was strong in, in, for people from uh, Turkey or Egypt or Algeria mm-hmm. or Iraq or Iran even Iran even though people were forbidden usually from saying those things but I think that was part of the appeal you know when you when you say something is forbidden mm-hmm. people just want to look into that and I think that people from outside the United States of Europe had a different perspective and they they were more about mm-hmm. how how do we fight theocracy how do we fight Islamic theocracy which makes sense if you live in an Islamic theocracy and sure. so so right. the idea of you know picking the picking sides and being either, either with this reactionary community or the uh, some a community that was no longer interested in fighting theocracy because something else had emerged. I think that wasn't the perspective of people who were actually fighting against theocracy. They, they, hmm. Lots of people just wanted to stay focused on that and say, "This is our movement. It's a secular mm-hmm. movement." We want secularism. This is really important in our countries. That's our priority. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, yeah, I could see how that would both make sense for them and then like in the global internet community where it's not clear where someone is coming from, it'd be easy to like come coming from a American woke social justice perspective, think that that person is, you know, ignoring the important intersections between you know fights for secularism and fights for equal rights for sexuality or something else like that um and that they could feel that as a uh pulling away from the project that seems most salient to them in that particular moment and i think there are a lot of debates in sort of social just even within social justice circles about how how to approach uh, you know, focus on these different kinds of issues. Do you try to do them all together? Do you try to separate them? Um, what's the most effective model? Now, you, you mentioned in there the dark enlightenment. Do you want to, can you explain sure. a little bit about what that means for folks who might not have heard yeah. that term before? Mm, the dark enlightenment mm-hmm. is a movement that was founded by um, a few figures, few prominent figures. Um, I think this, the main source of inspiration was a philosopher, actually. Nick Land, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with him. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not sure. Yeah, I was yeah. a really influential philosopher for uh, for some time in the in the beginning of this idea of the dark enlightenment. There was also. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry, what was the name Nick again? Land. Nick, Nick Land. Nick Land is from the UK. He was basically uh, along with Curtis Yavin. Oh yes, I've seen this guy before. This is the guy, like the guy who has he's got a he kind of has a H.P. Lovecraft look to him. I feel like they both look like they're hiding a bird inside of their mouths, and yeah, they're also, uh, both he also heavily racist. So right, right, right. They have that racist look in their eyes, and that's kind of accelerationist yeah. view about the end of um, history. Yeah. So yeah. So tell me a little bit about about um, Nick Land and the yeah. Dark Enlightenment. Basically, Nick Land's uh, main idea is that uh, is that of accelerationism. So uh, basically, 
um, Nick Lang was big into cybernetics and as mm -hmm. well as the philosophy of Jean Baudrillard who is this mm -hmm. uh, French philosopher really influential and uh, his main work which is really famous is Simulacra and Simulation Simulacra and Simulation mm -hmm. The one that shows up in the Matrix. Yeah, it shows up in the Matrix. Yeah, exactly. Right. And the main idea of, of Baudrillard is that society has replaced meaning with symbols. And mm -hmm. what you're experiencing is just simulation. That's why it connects to the team of Matrix. Everything's a simulation. Mm -hmm. like and so culture is constructed by media. And media construct this simulation of reality that basically mm -hmm. is um, something that it's uh, just that's no relationship to reality whatsoever. It's hyper real, mm -hmm. as he puts it. Basically, it's something that it's you cannot tell that it is not real because it's uh, the consciousness cannot tell that. You, it's a virtual reality. It's something completely mm -hmm. constructed. So, uh, so if you try to understand to understand it through the lenses of trying to understand reality, you're doing it the wrong way. You should just um, basically say this is what we experience, but it is this isn't something that I should say. I should try to understand mm -hmm. in terms of this is real, this is not. This is uh, something that you should just say, well, there is no reality anymore. That is just what the media say and what we can construct, what, we, what is constructed for us through that. So, so, so what is the goal of folks like Land? Is it to break out of the simulation? Is it to accelerate to a new stage past the simulation? Well, it's not clear, at least to me. Okay, it's, great. <laughs> it might be because it's uh, lots of lots of his writing is actually really hard to read. It's not an easy read. I'm not, I'm familiar okay. with some philosophy, but I'm not specialized in philosophy. And some things are when you put that in, when you lay on the jargon really thick, after a while it becomes hard to read. From what, from what I'm I not at all familiar with that experience. I've never, never encountered that anywhere in academia. <laughs> from what I, from what I can tell, is that uh, basically his idea is that um, um, you can. Uh, Create your own reality. You, if you if okay. you say something uh, um, in a way that is culturally influential and in a way that is uh, repeated a lots of lots of time, and it's accepted by people, it becomes real. So it's no longer just a simulation; it becomes the new reality. And he calls it that hyperstition which is basically superstition but in a hyper way you know it's it's an idea mm -hmm. that if you basically it's just like software 
if you download this idea in your brain, it becomes what what it becomes real. When when you download some software, you're not uh, doing anything on the physical. Well, you are doing something on the physical side, but that's not what you care about. You care about the software. If you download a new computer mm-hmm. game, you don't really care about the ones and zeros, about you know the electricity within your computer. You care about playing the game, and the game becomes real for you, and it becomes emotionally real. And in Nicklands, uh, basically, that's how I see it. It becomes socially real and uh, even technologically real. Because since we can uh, modify things in such a big way, we can make those ideas real. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the Dark Enlightenment, which he created along with Manchester Smallbook, is heavily based on the works of the German, American, Paleo Libertarian, and UNCAP. Hans Hermann Hoppe. And basically, Hoppe has written a book which is mm-hmm. called Democracy, the God That Has Failed. And his main idea, <laughs> his main idea is that democracy has failed, that democracy has become uh, oppressive. You're no longer free mm-hmm. under democracy because freedom is freedom to you know, to trade, freedom to start your own business, freedom to govern yourself outside of society. And uh, according to Hoppe, that's no longer possible because democracy mm-hmm. becomes something that is intrinsically tied to special interests, all sorts of special interests, lobbies, parties, uh, unions, that according to Hoppe, they're just rent seekers. They don't produce something. They just want to rent, to get rents from the state, mm-hmm. get something. And so basically, according to Hoppe, democracy just becomes uh, oppressive to individual liberty. And Hoppe says, very controversially, even even in libertarian cycles, cycles, this is very, very controversial, that monarchy is better than democracy to preserve individual liberty. Because the monarch doesn't want to, uh, to, you know, to, to reward people. He just wants to have an efficient state. So again, with the theme of efficiency, you know, which is why this can be appealing to someone uh-huh. who's a rationalist. So there's a lot going on there. And I think you mentioned a bunch of uh, terms and names. And I think I want to unpack those a little bit okay. more and try to figure out this conceptual map here a little bit. So we've got this guy, um, Hope, who is, you said, an um, ANCAP, which I understand to be an anarcho-capitalist, is correct? Yep. Do, you, yep. do you want to explain a little bit more what the anarcho-capitalist position is and then how I, I, I get I get the uh, the monarchy argument, but what is the ANCAP view? Okay. Basically, anarcho-capitalism is the idea that uh, private, pro- private property is the um, foundation of freedom. 
So anything mm-hmm. that goes against private property goes against freedom. So mm-hmm. a state, the enemy of... Which is a view that I think is... This is a view that seems to me to be often attributed to libertarians. I think when a lot of people that I know hate on libertarians, I think what they're hating on is the supremacy of property is the most important right and like sacred foundation of liberty. Yeah. And to be to be fair, anarcho-capitalism is uh, supported by many libertarians. It's not something okay. alien to libertarianism, but it's one mm-hmm. side of libertarianism. And you can have uh, someone like uh, Hoppe, who emphasizes that private property is everything that matters. So if you can preserve the idea of private property, everything else is doesn't doesn't really matter. It's mm-hmm. just uh, it's just, you know it's not really important. But you can also have someone with a bit little bit different, someone like um, David Friedman who think that mm-hmm. thinks that um um, private property is supremely important, but it's important because it serves individual rights. So it's not important mm-hmm. just by itself. It's not that if you have private property, then everything is fine, and there can be uh, viol- there can be you can be oppressed, you can lose your freedom even if you keep your property. But for Hoppe, so how do the ANCAPs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. How, do, how do the ANCAPs deal with like? That's okay. How do the ANCAPs deal with objections that, uh, you know, this doesn't work for a variety of reasons? We see a lot of like huge amounts of lack of freedom coming about as a result of the prioritizing of personal property in this kind of way. Do they mostly respond with like, you know, the, the real version of this just hasn't been tried yet, or do they have like a more sophisticated <laughs> kind of fallback okay. argument? Yeah, well, it depends on the it depends on the thinker and, and the people you, you're interested okay. with. So I think that lots of people think that the idea that it hasn't been tried yet, that's that's a that's a big that's a big uh, big uh, big theme with lots of people that say, well, we haven't really tried living outside of a state. We mm-hmm. always lived within a state. Mm-hmm. We were brainwashed by the state. So if we only tried to live outside of a state, it would work. But uh, mm-hmm. there are also people who think that we do need a state, but just the minimal amount of a state. That's called uh, minarchism, not monarchy. Right. It'd be hard to it'd be hard to have a monarchy and live outside of a state at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we'll come back to Hope later because it, I think I think it deviates a lot, even from anarcho-capitalism. Mm. I think he has okay. his own ideas that some people in the anarcho-capitalist community like, but some don't. And uh, I think that I think that he, he has his own idiosyncratic approach to anarcho-capitalism. But just to define what minarchy is, it's basically the night watchman state. So basically, the state just pro- mm-hmm. uh, protects you from aggression, 
and protects property mm -hmm. and protects your rights. And that's it. And it doesn't do anything mm -hmm. else. That's minarchy. There's also anarcho-capitalism in the uh, mutualist uh, perspective, which is uh, basically mm -hmm. that free markets are the most important thing, not capitalism. There's a difference because uh, free market is uh, one where there are no cartels, there are no mm -hmm. you know, groups of corporations coming together and blocking others from coming into the market. While capitalism is defined usually by the accumulation of capital. So there's a difference between free markets and capitalism. Mm -hmm. And mutualism is usually based, they, they think that people can cooperate in, uh, in you know, a beneficial way. And you don't need to just protect your property, you can share your property if it makes everyone richer, if it makes everyone better. And basically, according to mutualism, you just need to remove the authoritarianism within society to just get to this state hmm. of the free market where people will just compete and uh, they will compete, but they, they will create a better society by that. So as you can see, mutualism is on one end of the spectrum and Hans Hermann Hoppe is on the other mm -hmm. end of the spectrum. They, there's a lot of variation within the anarcho-capitalist um, perspective. Yeah, it, f it sort of feels like the, the spectrum goes from Hobbes to Rousseau, in a sense. Like, you're yeah, going from, yeah. like, you need, a, you need an absolute monarchy to protect you versus you need to get rid of the absolute monarchy so that everyone will fall back into a state of nature where they can exactly. trust each other and, and act better towards each other in that natural way. Yeah. Very interesting. So, okay, now can you explain to me how who who is Mencius Moldbug and why does he keep coming up in these conversations and what's <laughs> okay. going on with this person that he is so popular in these circles? Yeah, okay. Mencius Moldbug is the uh, nickname, pen name, whatever, of Curtis Yarvin, who was basically uh, was he uh, was a um, it was this guy was really, really into um, programming and cybernetics, along with Nick Land. He, he was, um, mm -hmm. he was a, a libertarian. In uh, There was a huge libertarian culture in uh, Silicon Valley back in the 80s and 90s. And, uh, mm -hmm. and basically, he had this professor who really influenced him with the anarcho-capitalist views. Uh, mm -hmm. And one big... One, there's... Um, one thing that I forgot to mention about anarcho-capitalism is that there are a few mm -hmm. thinkers within the anarcho-capitalist position who completely reject the idea of uh, empiricism. They don't think hmm. that uh, analyzing data gives you the... leads you to the truth. They think that if you just have the right rational idea, you can deduce what's rational, you can deduce what's uh, what's best, what's hmm. best, even without having to analyze data. And that's especially true for Ludwig von Mises, which is a very influential 
uh, Austrian school econo econ economist. And uh, mm -hmm. basically, it's, it's really, really, really influential on, on in many economic and classical liberal ideas. And basically, there's this idea that was also already in the, in the, in the first enlightenment, there was this difference between Hume and Locke. Hume was more about empiricism. Sure. Locke was more about rationalism. I'm making things simple, but that's broadly how it is. And for me, this... <laughs> and being a cop, mostly. Eh? Sorry? And being a, and being a cop, philosophically speaking. Yes. <laughs> he, and also, and also it, make, it makes sense that Locke would show up here because he is you know, heavily influential in, in conceiving of the modern idea of property. Yeah. And basically, from from Mises, uh, uh, as this idea that you, if you have, if you just have the right idea, the right rational idea, you can deduce from the assumptions that you have, you can deduce what's best for society, and that's a big idea that influences Jarvin, mm Moldbug -hmm. uh, a lot, a lot, along with Hans Hermann's Hoppe, mm -hmm. and Democracy, the God that Failed, the famous book by, by Hoppe. He thinks that, uh, basically, one big idea about Hoppe is that he thinks that no uh, political choice in a democracy is really authentically democratic. Again, with the idea of the simulacra simulation, just a simulation of democracy. Mm -hmm. And uh, there it's just some special interest groups. They want rent. They want money from the state. And so they push this idea of uh, a welfare state not to benefit people, but to benefit themselves. Uh, the, the basically, this idea that the elites are what matters and people just believe that they live in a democracy. They have this simulation, this simulacrum of democracy, but mm -hmm. it's not true. It's just one elite or the other elite, and they decide what's best for society. And so basically, if you have this idea, if you have this mindset, that if you just have the most rational idea, you can deduce what's best for society, and it's just the elite that matters, what's the logical conclusion? You should become the elite. You have the rational idea, you have mm -hmm. the best idea, and everybody's just competing for power. So why not you? Why shouldn't you do it? You're the most rational person around. Why should you leave it mm -hmm. to the irrational persons to lead society? You have the best ideas. That's a, a huge part, in my opinion, of the appeal of the idea, like of the ideas of the Dark Enlightenment, of the idea of Mencius Moldbug. One important part of the the idea of uh, Mencius, which he gets from Thomas Sowell. Thomas so Sowell, Sowell, I can't pronounce mm -hmm. his surname. Soul, Thomas. Soul. Sure. Sorry, sorry, Thomas. <laughs> Who is an American economist <laughs> and also is very influential in the in um, economics and in um, libertarian and conservative uh, cycles, and he basically thinks that mm -hmm. uh, the universities, the mainstream press. The, are the real political power in the United States. 
it's mm-hmm. not the parties, it's not uh, president or the Congress or the Senate, it's universities, the mainstream press, and some sort of intellectual elite, which he calls the cathedral. The cathedral, as if they are some sort of yeah. American religion. They are the people who decide what. Uh, yeah, that, that makes me. That makes me very curious. How how much does this stuff ever like tiptoe into like anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about elites controlling yeah. things and protect preventing the the true Ubermensches from rising up and and being free of their shackles? Yeah, yeah, it's really common. Is that, a, is that a common strain that comes up in this stuff? Or do they talk about that stuff explicitly? Or do they, they tend to dog whistle it? Well, I, th- I, think, I think that lots of people in the, in the Dark Enlightenment think that conspiracy theories are useful. And they can be parts of you know, breaking out mm-hmm. of the simulation. To come back to your point about the red pill community, mm-hmm. taking the red pill, as in Matrix, you know, breaking out of the simulation through the conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. Through the, even though the conspiracy theory may not be true, they think, well, everything is just a simulacrum of reality anyway. So what is even really true? That's you. The conspiracy theory is useful. Mm-hmm. You can use it against your enemies. You can use it to dismantle the cathedral, to you know, to point out that the elites are controlling society. The conspiracy theory by itself might be even a little bit stupid, but it's useful for uh-huh. your purposes. That's the position that they take, at least in my opinion. Again, I do feel like I see that. Yeah, I, I see that in the trolling of folks like with folks like James Lindsay, where they uh-huh. will he will I think sometimes. Though I, I do think he does genuinely believe a lot of these conspiracy theories. I also think he likes to put them out there in that kind of shock you into awakening kind of mindset i'm also i'm curious do you want to talk a little bit about the connections between this stuff and i also want to mention james has directly referenced Moldbug mm-hmm. at least once that i know of so he has read him um do you want to explain the connection here as well between i know you mentioned silicon valley there's some but i know in particular there's a connection to folks like peter Thiel, yeah. who is then connected to eric weinstein who has his own version of the cathedral which he calls the disc which i think <laughs> is it seems like it's the exact same concept you're describing just yes, like more poorly named yeah yeah so how how do they all end up in this? Well, okay. Uh, um, well, speaking about James Lindsay, I used to be a fan of James Lindsay. That's something that people should know. Hmm. So okay. I'm just putting it out there. And I used to think that he was an interesting thinker. I used to think that he had some good points. And I still think that 2018, the 2018 version of James Lindsay was much better than the 2020 or 2021 version of James Lindsay. And mm-hmm. it used to be politically, actually, people may not believe this, but it's true. I can provide evidence. It used to, <laughs> it used to be on the left of the American political spectrum. There's a tweet that I can show to people where he said, I'm something like, uh, I don't remember the exact words, but something like, uh, I'm the biggest critic that there is of of gender studies, but if Judith Butler 
would run against Donald Trump, I would vote for Judy Butler without even thinking about that. Hmm. He used to say that. That is quite quite a shift to yeah. him endorsing Trump. Yeah, it's a huge shift. Yeah. So, so I used to, I used to follow James Lindsay, and I I used to be a fan, and I noticed in late 2019 that it was was becoming closely associated with this organization, which is called Sovereign Nations. Have, yeah, I've, I've done an episode on their relationship. Yeah, so you're familiar with that. And mm-hmm. I really didn't like that. I really, really, really mm-hmm. didn't like that. Because in my opinion, they were just against everything that I thought James Lindsay stood for. And I said, why mm-hmm. then? Why should you even consider partnering you know, with people who supported creationism, who support... Uh, you know, the idea of uh, this, this, this nationalist idea, these populist right-wing ideas that you, you yourself said, you call those ideas cancer, poison. Why would you even mm-hmm. consider working with them? If you, if you really believe that something is poison and cancer, you stay away from that. You don't work with them. And mm-hmm. basically, the answer that I got from James and some of James' family was that I was engaging in uh, some sort of uh, fallacy. I was just mm. trying to... Oh, Killed by association. Killed by association, yeah. And in my opinion, mm-hmm. that's completely bonkers because mm-hmm. guilt by association is when you take a picture with someone and you don't know who they <laughs> are. You don't know who they are. Uh-huh. And someone say, oh, you took a picture with the guy who murdered your, his wife. And he said, well, I didn't know that the guy was, was, right. was going to murder his wife. What, what do you want from me? Do you want me to be able to see the future? That's guilt by association. And that's a real thing. That's a real thing. It happens. Mm-hmm. But if you, if, you, if, you, if you deliberately associate with someone, if you work with them, if you support them, if you... If you if you if they become your partners, you're associated with them. So it's not longer git by association. Otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't make sense. You know, if I if I associate myself with uh, with a community, it's because I support the ideas of that community because I think that the, those ideas are good because I think that they can do something good for society or even just on a smaller scale. They can do something good for I don't know. If I if I join a gardening a group on gardening, it's because I'm interested in gardening. It's not guilt by association to say, oh, you're interested in gardening because it, yeah, that's why I joined. Yeah, I mean, I guess we could most generously say that like he really believes that he can make like common cause with these individuals against the woke and not also be like helping Christian nationalists to reinforce their own agendas or he could somehow keep those things or, or that like, it's okay. It's like, it's worth it to help their agenda a little bit to help his own agenda a lot, I guess. I mean, I'm curious, do you feel like there's stuff in the paleo conservative mold bug world that pairs well with Christian nationalism? Are they Absolutely. sort of simpatico Absolutely. in some ways? How so? Well, especially, I think that the biggest connection here is Hoppe, 
which I mentioned mm -hmm. many times. And Hoppe basically believes that in this idea, this monarchy is better than democracy. But not just mm -hmm. monarchy, monarchy that enforces con really, really strong conservative ideas. Like, mm, uh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, like disenfranchising people who are deemed uh, unproductive. Mm hmm. And, so like highly reinforced um, uh, yeah. Protestant work ethic kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or the idea that, you know, uh, you should have a nation with really strong borders and you shouldn't get, let anyone in unless they deem the productive. And that's, that's something that marries itself well with nationalism because nationalists can just say, well, we define people who are productive as people that we define are part of our nation. So that's it. Mm -hmm. So, and Adam mm -hmm. Hoppe is personally very, very, very conservative. And he was also, it has to be said, a huge racist and xenophobe. Like, yeah, what is, what is the role of race realism in all of these? Like, role, are they all pretty heavily in on like the race yeah. science kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really huge in the dark enlightenment community. Nick Land, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Curtis Yavin, Manchus, and uh, Hanselman Hoppe are all huge fans of Steve Saylor. I oh, know. I see. Uh huh. Yeah, so they're they're they think that Saylor is a really interesting thinker. They think that Steve Saylor has lots of interesting arguments and basically they're all supporting these ideas that IQ is reliable as an indication for your level of intelligence, mm -hmm. your level of productivity and your level or again, uh, you know, efficiency of being efficient. And there are right. gaps between races. And so some races are more productive, more efficient more intelligent than others and so you should let those races in and the others you should let, let leave them out yeah can uh, you can you say just a little bit for a second about who steve sailor is for people who are not yeah, sure. like we're, we're getting down all these great rabbit holes and i think it's valuable and i just want to try to help normies understand where we're going yeah sure it's okay steve sailor is a blogger and uh, basically i I don't remember exactly when he started to blog. I think mm -hmm. I think it was it used to be a journalist, but I don't remember. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. He, he used to be a journalist for the for Slate for the Slate website, and mm -hmm. uh, basically he became famous because he had uh, this um, contentious with um, the people who wrote book Freakonomics. Mm -hmm. And they were making the argument that uh, abortion reduced crime. And he was saying mm -hmm. that this wasn't true. That's what basically made him famous because it made a really important, really famous article about that back in 1999. Back in 1999. And um, well, Sailor was a, a big friend of Charles Murray, he of the, the Bell Curve mm -hmm. fame. Which is also <laughs> highly controversial, and also about it's a tight community. I'm noticing there's yeah. a lot of overlap in these communities. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're they're all interacting with each other on Twitter. You can find them. It's not a secret. You can if you look for Steve Saylor. Mm -hmm. if, you, 
if you look for Steve Sailors and on on Twitter, you can find comments by by Murray, by by Curtis Moldbug, and also by Nick Land. Mm -hmm. Although I don't think that Nick Land is active on Twitter right now. And there's also mm -hmm. lots of overlap with um, people like uh, Sailor. Sailor is uh, basically Sailor has a lots of really strong opinions about race, and he mm -hmm. thinks that uh, there is the IQ hierarchy that basically puts uh, Asians and Jews on top, then it's white people, mm -hmm. then it's uh, Latinos, and then it's black people. And he is really, 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 really into that. He's, uh, he writes lots and lots of articles for uh, his blog and also for this. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I have a question then. If yeah. he, so if they buy his viewpoints about IQ and he puts the Jews up at the top, why why aren't the Jews supposed to be the elites? Why would we have conspiracy? Like, why would we want? Why would we not want the Jews to actually be the Illuminati? Right? Why why is it a bad thing if they're the ones running the show? Uh, how, how do you, how do you square? The, how do they square those kinds of questions? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. That's a really good question, I think. Okay. And I, great. They, they they didn't they didn't solve that Jewish question, huh? Okay. Just curious. That's a really interesting question, and I think that it depends on on the people. I, I think Curtis Yavin is Jewish. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Are, are they in favor of China winning out over America globally speaking? Given that the Chinese, it sounds like, are the better people than us. Well, they they again, it depends. I think that I think that. Uh, <laughs> I think that Moldbug is really in favor of. Uh, he really, really loves uh, Singapore. He thinks that Singapore mm. is the is the best uh, the best example of a society that uh, that he likes. He really mm -hmm. admires Lee, the founder of Singapore. I don't remember his name sadly right now. Lee Kuan Kyu, but I don't trust my pronunciation. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. Lee. Uh, Lee Kuan Yew, I think. Yeah, it was it was basically mm -hmm. this guy who was basically the the founder of more or less of Singapore. And I think that Manchus Moldbug would say that if China if China can beat the US, that's fine. But the US should try to be more like China. That's message for mm, okay. I, think, I think in Moldbug's perspective. As for Jewish people, I think that the hope, hope is heavily anti-Semitic. Hope is uh, okay, great. Yeah, American <laughs> is uh, close to basically fascism. That's uh, yeah, that, that, okay. that's no other way of putting it. I think that Hansel Hope is really, really close to fascism. He would contest that. Hope fans would call me names, saying that I'm. Straw manning him, and okay, fine. But when you say something like the elites control the world, and the elites are made up of Jewish people, and Jewish people are rent seekers, what's that? How do you call this? In my opinion, that's fascism. Even if, it, even if uh -huh. it's it certainly sounds like very anti Semitic, yes. Yeah, yeah. In, well, that, that's the idea for some, for lots of people. I don't, I don't know about Bolbug, 
I haven't read about mm -hmm. even, you know, Jewish people. I, I don't know about that. But I think that for lots of people, especially lots of fans in the community, not even the big names, but lots of fans in the community, the idea is that Jewish people are the elites that controls the U.S. and they are rent seekers and they promote those ideas of, uh, you know, equality mm -hmm. or even just simple, normal uh, American politics for their interests. That's mm -hmm. that's how that's how, how I think personally that those people square those ideas of you know the Russian hierarchy and the ideas of the elites. I think. Yeah, what, and I given how much believe, um... I, think I do believe the Jews, Jewish people are the elites. They just think that they are probably they just think they they are behind on the liberal democracy that they dislike. And they would prefer some kind of monarch who just expel the Jews, as people in Europe did quite often in the Middle Ages, actually. It, it does seem weird, though, that if they if they so prioritize the views of people who are the smartest, why they would not decide that whatever the Jews are doing is the right thing to be doing, because those are the highest IQ individuals, right? They're they're kind of very simplistic naturalist valuing of like whatever you know the super smart tell us to value. It seems like would be would lead to a, that kind of conclusion. Um, but it is like you know I think it's it's always funny this. Um, back and forth about like the globalists, yeah. but we want to be technocratic elites, but we want to be better than those technocratic elites because those technocratic elites are the are the wrong kind of super smart technocratic elites or something I, like I, that. I think, um, I think it comes back to the idea of you know uh, this being just a simulation of uh, democracy, mm -hmm. and I think that for people like uh, Curtis, yeah, I don't know about Curtis, I mean, I think more about about Anselman Hoppe. I think that the idea is that mm -hmm. everyone is self-serving. Everyone is just a narcissist, a sociopath, egoist. Those are just names, labels. Empathy is just basically a tool that you use to manipulate people. And so I don't think mm -hmm. I don't think that I don't think that those people are think that Jewish people are wrong. I think that they are they think that they are self-serving. I think that they mm -hmm. Jewish people just basically want to do whatever is best for Jewish people, but we're not Jewish, so we don't want to do what's best for Jewish people, what's, be what's best for us, for our property, okay. to defend our property. Mm -hmm. That's how I think that those people square those ideas. Fair enough. But this is very interesting for me to understand. I didn't realize there was like a direct connection that you could draw from Sailor and his very thoroughgoing race realism through Moldbug to someone like James Lindsay, who will claim, I think, not openly to be a race realist, but I would imagine is sympathetic to some of the kind of stuff that you've been um, describing yeah. here. But I, I realize we're getting we're starting to get a little short on time, and I wanted yeah. to give you give you plenty of time because i know you also wanted to say uh, talk a little bit about like we've mostly i think been fairly critical of these views um yeah. but i would like to hear why you feel like these views are appealing to a lot of folks and how we can communicate with those individuals in such a way that will um you know be sympathetic to the parts of this stuff that are understandable and will help them get pulled away from the more sort of conspiratorial anti-semitic monarchical fascism part of it yeah basically i think that the main appeal of those ideas is that if you are someone who thinks that they're really smart 
if you are someone who thinks that if you label yourself as a rationalist and if you if, it, if it's a label for you mm-hmm. if it's an identity for you it's not a method if it's an identity for you i think that you can fall down the rabbit hole of thinking that you are the smartest person in the room of thinking that you have all the answers mm-hmm. of thinking that if if people just listen to me reality would be better that's that's an easy that's an easy trap to fall into I think that if, if you assume that mm-hmm. the idea of being rational is not something methodological, it's not something that you should try to apply, it's something that you are, and you are smart, you have high IQ, and something like that, I think that it's easy mm-hmm. to think this is how society should run, and if only people listen to me, society would be better. And I think that the dark enlightenment stuff is very appealing because then you don't have to deal with something like you know debate democratic debate not just mm-hmm. debate or online debate which is a different thing but you know the structures of democracy and i think that how do you pull away from that well i think that people should study more about um, why why societies have divisions of powers why society mm-hmm. have uh, you know structures of democracy why do we have uh, uh, do we no longer have uh, such a concentration of power historical evidence about that and mm-hmm. also because if, because if it's just something that you you, you do in a very um, unempirical way if you just do it you know with the thoughts in your head it's easy to say, oh, this is just the logical conclusion of everything that I've thought so far. And if you Mm -hmm. buy into those ideas, it's easy to convince yourself and say, well, everybody is just, you know, self-serving. So I will be self-serving too. I will do what's best for me, for my community, my people. And that's where you get to really, really dangerous ideas. Mm -hmm. But if you, if, do you you, think... if you study history, mm-hmm. if you do understand why people have constructed things like parliaments, senates, you know, accountability, I think that the missing, big missing link here is accountability. I don't think that mm-hmm. anyone, anybody is so smart. I don't think that anybody is so, such a good person or such a good rationalist that they shouldn't be accountable. If you're not accountable mm. to anyone, that's a really, really, really bad thing. Not just a bad thing ethically or morally, but just even even on a cognitive way. It's easy to mm-hmm. delude yourself into uh, some ideas that don't really make sense. If you if nobody tells you, well, this is not true. This is not supported by evidence. And I think that lots of people just want to be, you know, the rebel. They want to be to go against the establishment, the cathedral, the mainstream, and they say, "Oh, the mainstream lied," which is true, by the way. It, it's true. I can make an example that it's not controversial. Uh, lots of mainstream newspapers lied about you know what was going on in Iraq before two thousand and three. Mm-hmm. There were lots of lies. Mm-hmm. That. That's true. Nobody, nobody who is you know, I think that even if a person is. Uh, against everything that rationalism stands for, 
you should you you should have some skepticism of mainstream. I think it's healthy. What is not mm-hmm. healthy is to assume <laughs> the identity of the rebel, of the person who understands everything, and then say, oh, the mainstream lies. So I will trust this person who speaks to me. I will trust them, and I will never, 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 never check what they say, because they are the rebel. They are the good guys. Mm-hmm. They are going against the mainstream. They are going against the cathedral. They are the rationalists. They are the smart people who are not listened to, just like a smart person who is not listened to. And mm. I think that's some... That's a very good point. I think that some intellectual humility is a really, really good thing, a really thing to have. If you, are, if you define yourself as a skeptic, that's not an identity. That's something, something that you are. It's something that you do. So if you define yourself mm-hmm. as a skeptic, you should judge, shouldn't just be skeptical of the mainstream. Be skeptical of the alternative, too. Check things. Mm-hmm. Don't trust people just because they say they they expose lies. They may expose lies. They may be right about that. But are they sincere? Are they are their arguments good? It's not just good to say, oh well, I'm exposing lies. I think that one big thing that many people do is that they say, okay, this person they say stupid things, they use hyperbole, they use jokes, but they're justified because the mainstream is so powerful that you you need someone mm-hmm. to question it. You need the Galileo to say, yet it moves. You need the people. And I say, mm-hmm. well, it's true, you need people to question the mainstream, but you shouldn't let those people become gurus. You shouldn't let those people mm-hmm. become people that you don't question. If you, Galile, uh, the example of Galileo, I think is really, really, really interesting because Galileo was wrong about some things. He was human, he was mm-hmm. wrong. He was wrong about tides. Is a theory about tides was completely wrong. Not because he was hmm. a bad Russian, bad he was just wrong. People are wrong. So he was right about heliocentrism. He was wrong about tides. Fine. Don't make him a guru. Check mm-hmm. his ideas. Be skeptical. Be, follow the scientific method, not just the reverence for the scientific figure. Don't make him into a saint. Question. Question things. But question everything, not just the mainstream. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's all really good points. And I think you really uh, sort of exactly the kind of balance of sympathy and epistemic humility and skepticism that I think people need to be bringing, like not just like as you said, not just to the mainstream media, not just to alternative media, but also to their own minds. Where I think people can get into this place of thinking that they know their own minds much better than they actually do. So let me let me just ask you one final quick question, and then I'm going to get you to the enlightening round. Based on everything you've said over the course of this, do you think it's likely that that someone like James Lindsay ends up? sort of arguing themselves out of believing in liberal democracy itself? I think it already has. Because if you... He's mm-hmm. supporting, he's supporting uh, mm, conspiracy theories about voter fraud in the US. He does. He does. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not an argument. You, can, you can't argue that. He does support those ideas. And if you support those ideas, I think that you've given up on liberal democracy already. At least on on a pragmatic level, because you say, hey, elections, so 
are not valid anymore. There's so much voter fraud that, you know, mm-hmm. Trump should have. It's won. a simulation of an election. It's a simulation election, exactly. So I, I don't think, I don't right. think, I think he already has. Maybe we'll never, he will never say that explicitly, because that would just, you know, tip his hand and just people could just say, well, that's too much. I'm leaving. You're not. You, mm-hmm. you say you're you're you just want liberalism, but you you're against liberal democracy. What the fuck is that? I'm leaving. But <laughs> he, he already has pragmatically, because because there is no evidence of voter fraud. The only couple, right. all the courts in the United States, I think that Trump made something like sixty or even more cases about voter fraud, and it was all rejected. So either you believe that there is this deep state controlling everything, or you believe that mm-hmm. Donald Trump was wrong and the election was valid, and all those conspiracy theories are just complete bullshit. Part of mm-hmm. my French. No, great. I think that's a really good point to to leave us here on. I think that that ties it back down to uh, rea- all this theory back down to reality in a very useful way. So I appreciate that. Um, so now, unfortunately, I have to torture you. Uh, torture so this me. is, yeah, this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. I'm going to give you a list of things. You are going to tell me, are these things real or not real? Okay. You do not get to define what you mean by real. You do not get to hedge. It is real or not real. Do you understand? Yeah, fine. Go ahead. Okay, great. All right, so just to check, first of all, is anything real? Yes. Okay, great. Let's find out what's real. Is the external world real or not real? Real. Colors, real or not real? Real. Phenomenal consciousness? Real. Free will? Uh, That's a tough question. Well, <laughs> I think it depends on how. Yeah, I, I, I no, 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 real or not real. <laughs> uh, as most people interpret it, not real. Uh huh. Selves or persons? Pardon? Sorry, I didn't catch the last one. Sorry, selves or persons? Like your personal, like your selfhood. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, real. Okay. Genders? Yes. Real. Races? Socially real. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Real, real or not real? <laughs> <laughs> well, in the same sense, money is real. No, no, no. no. You don't get to just say real or not real. Okay. All right. So, uh, is that real then? Real, but in the same sense that money okay. is real. Okay, we'll get to money in a second. Don't jump ahead. Uh, mm-hmm. Species. Real. Morality. Real. Rights. Real. Knowledge. Real. God or gods. Not real. Society. Real. Money. Real. Mm-hmm. Numbers. Yeah. 
real. <laughs> Fictional characters. Not real. Holes, like a hole in the ground. Real. Chairs. Real. Sandwiches. Real. Science. Real. Natural laws. Of science. Just natural laws could mean whatever, however you interpret that concept. Okay, real. Okay. Beauty. Real. Love. Real. Causality. Real. And finally, time. Real. All right, you survived. How do you feel? <laughs> Fine, but I would I would have said I would have defined all those things in much more detail. No, that's not, that's not how the game works. But I'm glad to know that you have a lot of things you still want to say. <laughs> okay. No, that was great though, um, and I really appreciate you coming on and helping me sort of flesh out my my understanding of the paleoconservative ecosystem in which a lot of um, what seemed to me to be leftist, or sorry, sorry, right wing anti woke uh, conspiracy theory stuff seems to be saturated. Um, do you want to let folks know where they can find you online? Sure. Well, you can you can find me basically on Twitter. My handle is okay. Mark. I'm not a big name. I'm not anyone special, really. I'm just a person who posts things on the internet. If you want to follow mm -hmm. me, that's fine. And uh, well, I, I do, I do warn you people uh, that if if you want to follow me, I, <laughs> I tend to I tend to criticize uh, what is called. And I don't like I don't like the name, but that's the name that basically everybody uses now, what is called so-called wokeness a lot. It's okay. But, but I'll, I, I'll give you your W card. You can use the word. It's fine. But but I I do I do that from I don't do that from a right wing paleo conservative perspective. No. Mm -hmm. So I'm not into Fair race enough. realism. I'm not into anything about you know this monarchy or these ideas and i'm I usually i would classify myself as being on the left globally speaking i don't know mm -hmm. if that translates well it depends on where you live so i could be mm -hmm. probably in the united states just to give you an idea of who i would support in the united states that's bernie sanders so okay. <laughs> So, but in but in, in some other places might be someone else. So, fair it. enough. Well, I think I think you're a solid follow on Twitter, and I think it is valuable for people in the woke community to um, listen to criticism from people who are not James Lindsay and therefore are worth engaging with in a uh, yeah, respectful I, I kind of way. Yeah, so. I don't I don't make your mom jokes. So I appreciate that. That's that's, that's a huge improvement. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our newest patrons, Yi Zhuzong, Maurice Weller, DNKY27, and our newest Archduke-level patron, Min. 
And as always, I would like to thank our top tier patrons, our Archon level patrons, Lawrence Shields. Uh, sorry, sorry, Lawrence Shielding, um, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, Dude, Fix the Vote, Jude Law's Canadian Accent and Existence Makes My Pussy Throb. Aaron objectively has the same morality as baby eating space turtles. Good shout out to philosophers in space there. Uh, Chad T. And all the thanks to our top tier Archduke level patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Little Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at ETVPod. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and our bonus ETV reading group content. Most of all, in this moment, remember, you are the void and the void is you. Thank you.